These last few months have been a trying time for all of us. As a nation, we have gone through one crisis after another, and things are far from being over. Sometimes when I watch the news, I am left speechless, and I think to myself, how do you even pray for this type of situation? Have any of you ever felt that way? When you feel overwhelmed and daunted by something that you don't even know how to respond, how to even pray? Well, in today's text, Jesus shows us that in any given situation, our response is to pray. And he teaches us how to pray and how not to pray. During Jesus' time, the Jews were very accustomed to a life of prayer. They prayed at least three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening, which lasted for about an hour. But even beyond these fixed hours of prayer, the Jews also prayed before and after every meal and had special prayers reserved for Sabbath and Passover. So in other words, they were praying all the time. But some of them were not praying with the right motive or the right posture. First, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6 how not to pray. He points out the men in the synagogues and out in the street corners who are praying to be seen. And he shows us that prayer is not about how we are perceived by others. It's not about looking good and pious to other people, but spiritual disciplines like prayer, fasting, and charity are meant to be done in secret. That's why some people call their prayer times with God going to the secret place. It's something that takes place between you and God alone. Secondly, prayer is not about how lengthy or elaborate our words are. You know, sometimes I run into people who are afraid to pray out loud because they think that their prayers aren't good enough or eloquent enough. God doesn't care about how eloquent or how religious our prayers sound. He cares about the posture of our hearts. And sometimes the most powerful prayers are the most simplest ones. One of my closest friends shared a story with me about a time when she was driving home one night during a torrential downpour and she lost control of the wheel and her car began to spin out of control in the middle of the highway. At that moment, she cried out to God saying, Jesus, help! And she closed her eyes thinking that this was the end. But when she opened her eyes, she was surprised to find that her car was miraculously at a standstill safely set on the side of the highway. Her prayer to God only consisted of two words, Jesus, help. But that was enough for God to hear and respond. In this text, Jesus shows us that prayer is not about us. It's not about how religious we sound with our eloquent words, but prayer is all about God. Prayer is centered on God as we go to the one who sees us and knows everything we need. The disciples recognized that there was something different about the way Jesus prayed. He wasn't like the hypocrites who prayed in front of the synagogues to be seen by men, but he would withdraw to lonely places to pray. And when he rejoined them, he moved with such power and authority proclaiming the kingdom of God. 
they realized that this was the secret behind his ministry. The disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to evangelize or how to heal the sick or how to cast out demons. Instead, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. In Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13, is where we get the Lord's Prayer, which is what we pray together every Sunday. The Lord's Prayer is the most quoted words of the Bible by Christians of all denominations ever since Jesus first taught His disciples this prayer. And some of us might have memorized this prayer and know it by heart. But sometimes, like with all things, when you know something really well, there's a tendency where it becomes a ritual and you're no longer engaged with that action. Prayer was never meant to be a religious ritual, but it was meant to be an intimate dialogue between us and God. So to help us rediscover the meaning and the wonder behind the Lord's Prayer, I'm going to break this down into seven parts and we're going to go over the significance of each one. So let's begin with the first part. Our Father who art in heaven. Now throughout the Old Testament, God calls himself the Father of Israel. But during Jesus' time, it was rare to see any of the Jews actually calling God Father. In fact, they were so offended and angry at Jesus for claiming God as his Father that they plotted to kill him. You see, calling God Father was something personal and intimate. In Aramaic, the word for Father is Abba. When translated in English, it's close to the word Daddy or Papa. Jesus called God Daddy, and He instructs us to do the same. So prayer begins in relationship to the Father. But in order to call God Father or Daddy, we have to first become His children. And we become His children when we receive Jesus into our lives. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Through His death and resurrection, Jesus gave us identity and access. He gave us identity as God's children, and He gave us access to the Father. But sometimes, even after we come to know Jesus, some of us still struggle to walk in our new identities as God's beloved children. We may struggle to believe that we're not good enough or that we need to have everything together before we can approach God. So you see, it's very significant that Jesus instructed us to begin our prayer with Father because our perception of God can influence the way we pray. For many years in my own faith journey, I struggled to know God as Father. And as a result, my prayers were timid and it felt more like a chore or an obligation. I thought God was distant, quick to punish, and would only love me if I did the right thing. But over the years, God did such a deep healing in my heart, and I was amazed to discover just how kind and tender, patient and merciful the Father really was. 
recognizing the Father's love for me transformed me from the inside out. And I'm now much more confident and secure when I approach God in prayer because I know who I am. I am His beloved child, and so are you. You are His beloved son, you are His beloved daughter, and we have a Heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally. So when we pray, we don't approach God with timidity, hoping that He'll hear us, but we approach God with boldness and confidence, knowing that He'll hear us and respond. So after we greet our Father in heaven, the next thing we do in prayer is worship. Hallow be thy name. Psalm 104 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. When we approach God, we need to first posture our hearts and minds as we enter into his presence, and we do so by worshiping him. Have you ever tried to pray and your mind just starts to wander all over the place? It generally takes a while before we can tune out those distractions and really fix our minds on Jesus. And worship helps us do that. It helps us transition us from being earthly-minded to becoming heavenly-minded. Once I was in a prayer meeting and we were spending a long time in worship and we didn't even get to the part of lifting up our prayer requests. And as we worshiped God, he showed me a picture of a fighter plane that was taking off from the runway and it was flying higher and higher and higher and higher until it finally reached a certain altitude. It was at that time I sensed the Holy Spirit say, now pray out my will for this situation. And we prayed with authority and precision. When we worship, it helps us fix our eyes on Jesus so that we're able to pray from a heavenly standpoint and not from an earthly standpoint. That is one of the keys to effective prayer. Which brings us to the next part of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the ultimate goal of all our prayers. It's for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done in every situation. But you might be wondering, well, what does it look like for God's kingdom to come into my life? Take a look at the Gospels and see what happened to people anytime Jesus showed up. He proclaimed that the kingdom of God was at hand and people were getting healed. They were getting saved. They were set free. They were restored back to their communities and so much more. Jesus is the king and the kingdom of God is the reign and realm of God, which was embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. So when we pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're simply asking Jesus to show up. So let's review the Lord's Prayer so far. First, we go before our dad, our father. Second, we worship him for who he is. And then we move into this posture of surrender as we recognize Jesus as king. And we say, Jesus, I want you to reign over this situation. Not my will, but let your will be done. If we begin to pray like this, 
I can almost guarantee that we'll see more answered prayers in our midst. You see, this is what Jesus prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't hold back his emotions. He was completely honest with the Father about his fears of going to the cross. But in the end, he said, Yet not my will, but yours be done. To pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done is an act of letting go of our own desires, agenda, and will, and trusting in God's greater purpose, His kingdom, to unfold in our lives. The fourth part of the Lord's Prayer is give us this day our daily bread, which covers all our supplications. Unfortunately, one of the greatest pitfalls in prayer is that Christians tend to spend way too much time in this one area of prayer alone. We're always asking God for something. God, give me a new job. God, change the heart of my spouse. God, help me get into that school. God, please do this. God, please do that. It's not bad to go to God for the things that you need in your life. In fact, He loves to provide for His children. But imagine, if there was someone in your life that only spoke to you when they needed something from you. They never take the time to get to know you as a person, but they only come to you to ask you for things. How would that make you feel? You would feel like you're being taken advantage of, right? No one wants to feel that way. But how often do we pray to God in that same manner? Friends, Let's be mindful of our prayers to God. He has thoughts and feelings too, just like any of us. In John 6, 25, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Yes, God can provide for all our physical needs, but He is so much more than that. Jesus wants to be our daily sustenance, our bread of life. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, in every way. The fifth part of the Lord's Prayer is one of the most important things that we need to do on an ongoing basis. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness is so important that Jesus mentioned it again in verse 14 after giving us the entire prayer. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is somewhat of a scary concept to think about, that if we hold a grudge or an offense against someone, God won't forgive us of our sins. I think what God is trying to tell us here is that if we truly understand His mercy, the cost that it took to cleanse us of our sins, there is no way that we can withhold that same mercy to others, no matter how much that person has hurt us. If Jesus has forgiven us, we must be willing to forgive others. And it may not all happen at one time. In fact, it could take multiple times, especially if the offense is great, and the pain is deep, and that's okay. Forgiveness is an ongoing process. And as long as we live in a fallen world, there'll always be people to forgive and will also need to be forgiven. 
The sixth part of the Lord's Prayer is a prayer of deliverance. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As Christians, we recognize that the faith journey is not an easy road, but it's an ongoing spiritual battle against the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. We have a spiritual enemy, Satan, our own flesh, and the world. These three things are always in opposition to the kingdom of God. But thankfully, we have a God who conquered all three and understands our human frailty. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. He overcame the world and the evil one when he went to the cross. So in moments of temptation and affliction, we can cry out to Jesus who will deliver us from evil. His victory over sin and death has made a way for us to also walk in that same victory. The final part of the Lord's Prayer is something that the early church added to tie it all together. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Prayer begins with praise to the Father and it ends with praise. Hallelujah! So wherever you are in your journey, I encourage you to consider using this prayer that Jesus taught us. Don't just rush through it, but spend time in each part and dialogue with God. Prayer is one of the greatest spiritual gifts and weapons that we have been given, and we and our nation needs prayer now more than ever. So may the Holy Spirit draw each one of us into the secret place to fight our battles, and may we see God's kingdom come and His will be done on earth through our prayers. Thanks be to God.